We are journeying through the Bible. So this year we started off in Genesis. We're still in Genesis. We're, we're going to be working through the Bible this year. Um, obviously, with only 52 weeks, we will not be able to cover every part of the Bible, but we will go through and hit some main points and hit some highlights um, and just kind of talk about um, what we think is, is really important to, to grasp as we journey through the Scriptures. I do still have the F260 reading plan out in the foyer, so if you want to grab that reading plan, you can, you can just jump along in with us and, and read um, five days a week and, and read through the Bible together with us. All right, so this week um, we're at uh, the story of Abraham. Um, we're in Gen- Genesis chapter 15, verse 6 is our main uh, verse today, so you can be turning there. So here we are in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 6. Um, this is our main passage about Abraham, and that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. And so righteousness is this word where we are in, when you are righteous, uh, the way I want you to understand it is in you are in right standing with God. So, so we all know that God is holy, we all know that we are not. We know that we have sinned against God, and that has broken our relationship between us and God. And so, therefore, we are no longer in right standing with God. Uh, we have sinned against Him, and we are deserving to be punished by Him, as, as all people are. When all people sin against someone else, um, if, you, if you steal something from someone, or if you, you hurt someone, or you kill someone, then you, you are deserving to be punished for that behavior in hopes that the punishment will keep you from doing that again, right? Um, that's why there's different terms of, of prison sentences for those who go to prison. Some we think, okay, just a few years may teach you that lesson to not continue doing this um, when you get out. And others, we say, well, look, we really can't trust you not to do that again when you get out. Um, but that's serious, like, you know, serious examples. You could go just every time someone has parented a child, you know, when your child misbehaves or does something wrong, then you try to give them consequences that they don't like. Uh, it's called discipline. So you discipline your child in a way that they do not like in hopes to change their behavior to start doing what they should do. And hopefully, when you discipline your kids, it's for their good, not just solely for our own good. Um, it's coming from someone who is not yet raised children. So I'll jump off that subject and let y'all be the experts on that. Um, But the biblical principles are are true. Um, So faith that works. Um, Let's go ahead and jump into our story of Abraham in chapter 15. And before we start reading, um, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us your word. Father, I pray that as we look at your word and study your word and, and dive into your word today, that, Father, that we would understand it clearly, that you would, you would reveal it to us through the Holy Spirit exactly what you meant when you said it and how it still applies today in the same way. And so, Father, I pray that we won't just come in and listen and go out and forget, but, Father, that what we hear today will actually impact us and change us and change the way we live when we walk out of these doors. We love you, Father, and we thank you for giving us your word and revealing yourself to us through it. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 15, verse 1 through 6. So here's our our story that that has brought us to this, this idea, this topic of faith. So after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. 
Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, one who comes from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look at the sky and count the stars, if you are able to count them. Then he said to him, Your offspring will be that numerous. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. What did Abram believe? Did God say, Abram, if you do this and do this, then I will let you enter my kingdom? Is that what he told him? What did God tell Abram? He said, now Abram's very old at this point, and Sarah, his wife, is just as old. And God tells him, you will have not only a descendant, a child, in your old age, but you will have children who will have children who will have children who will have children who will have children to the point that coming from you, your own body, will be a nation with people so numerous that if you could look up in the sky and count the stars, then you might have an idea of how many children you'll have. So what did Abram believe? Was it the fact that he believed that he was going to have kids? Is that why he was made righteous? Technically, yes. He believed God. Simple. Plain and simple. God spoke to him and told him something unbelievable. And Abraham said, because you are God, because I believe you can do anything, I believe you. I believe your words. I believe you are true. I believe that what you have said is true. And that's what God wants from us. Does he not? God wants us as his creation, his children. He wants us to live just like Abram. And that when God tells us something, and that could be any of this, That when God tells us something, we believe him. Why? Because it's he who said it. God said this. Well, I really like that. That makes me really happy. I believe you, God. Great, that makes him happy. And then you flip over here, and God said this, and you say, I don't really like that. I wish God didn't say that. I wish that weren't in there. But you know what? I believe you anyways. That's what God wants from us. God wants us to believe him and take him at his word. Everything that he said. And because Abram believed God, God credited it to him as righteousness. Now there's three types of of people that we're going to talk about today. This idea that his belief was credited to him as righteousness. It's his belief in God that gave him right standing with God. There's three groups of people that we're going to talk about in this sermon. There are those who believe that their righteousness is obtained by the things they do. Works, good deeds. Okay, Some believe that they're made into right standing with God, that I'm accepted by God and I will be allowed to go to heaven because I do what I'm supposed to do. I do what he's told me to do. My works, my deeds, that's what makes me in right standing with God. The second group is those who say, 
I believe I'm in right standing with God because I know what I'm supposed to know. That God has told me this, and I, I, I agree. I believe it. It's, it's knowledge. I know what he's told me to know. And so therefore, because I know that, my knowledge places me in right standing with God. Now, they would never say it that way, but we're going to talk about what that means. And then you have the third group, which is, I believe that my belief in God, my belief and faith in him, causes me to do good works. That it's not the good works that saves me, but that real faith, real belief and trust in him causes those good works. So let's, let's, uh, let's go on to our next passage. So Romans 3.28, here Paul is addressing this first group that believe that because I do what I'm supposed to do, that I do the right things, that I'm therefore justified. He says, for we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Would you agree? Paul said that we believe that a person is justified by their faith apart from the works of the law, meaning the works plays no part in me being justified before God, correct? Well, Paul says that to the Romans, but James says something else to those in the dispersion. Let's go to our next verse. James 2.24, James says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Does that seem to give you a conflict there? People talk about all of these uh, contradictions in the Bible. You ever heard anybody bring up there's so many contradictions in the Bible? This is why. Because they read these at surface level and they say, well, that's a direct contradiction. Go back one. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Now, God said that, and I believe that the, the Scripture is inspired by God that God inspired the writers to write these words. So you can just as easily say Paul said that to the Romans. You could just as easily say God said that to the Romans. God said, we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. But then God also, through James, said, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now try to reconcile those two verses. It's easy. It really is. Let me tell you why. Because they're talking to two different groups of people that have two different problems. You know, the majority of these letters in the New Testament are written to address problems at hand. They're written to address problems that are going on in the church. And so they're writing to address those specific problems to those specific people. See, the first group, let's go on to the next. See, this is, the, this is where we need to land Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For you are saved by what? Grace. Are you saved by faith? You're saved by grace through faith. Or you could, it wouldn't be good English, but you could say you're saved by grace by faith. Okay? So God says the stipulation is faith. That's the stipulation. But the stipulation isn't what saves you. It's God being gracious. That's what saves you. His grace to you. That he's giving you something you don't deserve. That's what grace is, remember? Mercy is when we deserve something bad, like punishment, and we're not given what we deserve. That's mercy. Grace is when you don't deserve something good, but you're given it anyways. That's grace. You're saved by God being gracious to you, by allowing you to be saved if you would just place your faith in Him. 
And this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. Let's go on. So here, Paul is speaking to the Romans. Now, he's speaking to the Christian church here, and he addresses in this section, he addresses those who believe that they are righteous, in right standing with God, saved, will inherit God's kingdom. They believe that they are good to go, if, you, if, if that's what you would say. I'm saved, okay? They believe they're saved because they try to follow the works of the law that God gave them. Does that make sense? God gave them the law. God said, this is what you're supposed to do. You got to do this. 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 And so they say, you know what? I do my very best. I do a really good job at following the law. I'm a really good person. And because I really try my hardest to do what God's told me to do, therefore, I am saved. And Paul says it doesn't work that way. That's the group he's talking to. He says this. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are subject to the law. Okay, so in other words, those who are under the law. The law has been given to you, therefore you must follow the law. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may be subject to God's judgment. So what this is painting is a picture is we've been given the law so that everyone will be found guilty. And that's the problem that they couldn't figure out. They thought the law made them righteous. That if I would follow the law good enough, that makes me righteous. And Paul's saying, no, no, no. The law was given so that we would recognize that we are not righteous. The law was given to us so that we would all realize that we're in trouble. We will be found guilty. All of us may be subject to God's judgment. Let's go on the next verse. For no one, here's the key, and Paul's saying, as clear as I can say it, for no one will be justified in God's sight by the works of the law. No one can earn justification with God. No one will be justified in God's sight by doing and following the works of the law. Because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. It's the fact that we have the law, that's how we know we've sinned. That's how we know we're in trouble. Next verse. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. So those who have tried to become righteous by following the law, Paul says you can't. If you want to become righteous, righteousness only comes through faith, belief in Jesus Christ. Next verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So can you be justified before God? Yes. Can you be justified before God by following the law? No. Can you be justified before God by placing your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation? Yes. And that's what he's trying to teach the Romans who believe that they can be justified through the law. Next. 
God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. And so Paul said over and over and over, you can be made righteous before God by the only people that are made righteous are those who place their faith in Jesus. So you're saved not by the works, but you're saved by faith. Next. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By one of works? No. On the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There's that verse I put up a second ago. But in its context, do you see what it means in its context? That your justification, that the fact that you're justified comes solely from your faith and that you cannot be justified by following the law. You see, that's the context that he's talking here in Romans. That, you're, that we conclude that a person is justified by faith They're not justified by the works of the law. They're not justified by doing what God has told us to do in the law. They're only justified by faith because God chooses to justify those who place their faith in him, not those who just try to follow the rules. Does that make sense? That's what he's saying to the Romans. Now let's go on. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then nullify the law through faith? And that's always the point that people ask. So you're telling me that I am justified through faith in Jesus alone and not the law. So does that mean that we just don't even have to worry about the law? Does that mean that we just throw it out the door and we don't have not be concerned with what God has told us to do? He says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What is the law? The law is God's revelation to us of what it means to be holy and sinless. That's what the law is. The law tells us, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin, this is sin. Therefore, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I am holy, be like me. This is what I'm like. I take care of the fatherless. I take care of the widows. I take care of the orphans. I, I take care, I stand up for those who can't stand up for themselves. I loan to those without seeking to be repaid. And I do good to others when they insult me. This is God law. The law is God showing us what his character is and therefore showing us how we should be. But the minute that we think that we can earn our right standing with God by obeying every part of the law, we get in trouble. Because your justification doesn't come from being good enough. Your justification in relationship with God comes from placing your trust in him to trust him to save you knowing that we're guilty i trust jesus to save me knowing that the law says that i'm guilty what then will we say that abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found if abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about but not before god For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now the one who works, pay is not credited as a gift, 
but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. And that's our picture. We read the law and realize that we are ungodly, that we are in trouble, and that we are guilty. But through faith in Jesus Christ, he can declare the ungodly to be righteous, and he can justify us through our faith in him. So that's the first group. But what about the other verse that that said exact opposite of that? Remember in James, it says that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Let's go on to our next verse. James is talking to a different group of people. He's not talking in this chapter. He's not talking to the people who think that they are in right relationship with God because of their works. That was where Paul was talking. It's not the group that thinks I'm right with God because of my works, because of the way I live. He's talking to the opposite group. Imagine a pendulum that swings back and forth. All the way on one side, you have the group of people who think I'm right with God because of the way I live. And all the way at the other end, you have people that say I'm right with God despite the way I live. The way I live has nothing to do with it. I can sin it up and I can sin every day and it doesn't matter. My, sinful, my sinfulness makes no difference because I'm right with God. That's the two sides of the pendulum. Those who think they're justified because of their works. Those who think they're justified irregardless of their works. Irregardless of how they live. And this is who James is talking to. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works. Now, what does that mean, does not have works? You understand that what he's saying here is that I'm talking to a group of people who say, I have faith, but no evidence. I bear no fruit. I show no signs. I don't have any signs that I ha- I've lived to change life. I, I, don't, I, I don't have any evidence that the Holy Spirit has come and made a new person within me. I show no evidence at all. I just claim it. I just say I have faith. That's what he says. Can such faith save him? Next. If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, stay warm, and be well fed, but you don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? Now, why did he use that illustration? He uses this illustration that you can, you can proclaim whatever reality you want. You can say whatever reality you wish to be true. But if it's not backed up by reality, is it true? No. If someone comes up to you and they lack clothing and food and they're cold and they're hungry, and you use your words and you say, be warm, be well fed. But you don't give them clothes and you don't give them food. Are they warm? Are they well fed? No. See, James is making a distinction between the fact that we can say something to be true, but that doesn't make it true, does it? We can say we have faith, James says. You can say you have faith, but that doesn't mean you have faith. You can say, I believe and I have faith in Christ, but that doesn't mean you really believe and have faith in Christ. There's a difference between what we say and what is actually true. 
In the same way, faith, if it doesn't have works, is dead by itself. In the same way that he just gave that analogy. If you say, I have faith, but there's no evidence that you have faith. You, you have not been changed. You don't live a changed life. You don't, the Holy Spirit's not working in you. You can say it, but it's just dead words. It's not true. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't make it true. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Well, show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Now, why did James say that? This is the distinction between knowledge and true faith. Knowledge is that, okay, I know something. Okay, that must be true. I know it to be true. And he says, what you claim is your faith. You say, I have faith because I know that it's true. That's how I have faith, because I know it's true. I know Jesus lived. I know he died. I know he's the son of God. I know it. I know it's true. He said, that's what you're claiming is your faith. He said, but, but tell me, how is that any different than what the demons claim? The demons know who God is. They know who Jesus is. They know he rose from the dead. They know he, he lived and he's the son of God. How is your faith, James says, how is your faith, what you call faith, which is really just knowledge, how is that any different than, than the demons? The demons aren't saved. And that's what he's trying to point out here. You believe that God is one. This is the Shema. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. The Listen Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. He says you believe the truth about God. That's great. That's, a, that's the first step. But even the demons believe and they tremble. It doesn't make you any different. And then he gets a little harsh. Senseless person. Are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? And he goes on to use Abraham as his example. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering Isaac his son on the altar? Did Abraham have faith that if he sacrificed his son that God would raise him from the dead? That's what Hebrews tells us. That's what the book of Hebrews tells us. That Abraham believed that even if he were to sacrifice his son Isaac, he believed because, why? Because God had already promised that you're going to have a nation of people. So he said, okay, this is the only son I have. God has promised a, a countless number of descendants. God is telling me to sacrifice the only son I have, the, one, the only one through which we can have a countless number of descendants. Therefore, I believe that if I do what God has told me to do to sacrifice my son, I believe that God has the power to raise him from the dead so that he will fulfill his word to me that he said I will have countless descendants. So because Abraham actually had faith, he actually had real belief in what God said. He followed through with action. He actually drew his knife to slay his son. Now what if he didn't have faith? What if he had the faith that James is addressing that these people have? Where it's not, it's not a faith that I'll actually step out in faith for you. I won't actually change my life for you. That's the whole point. I'm not changing any part of my life for you. If they were told to sacrifice their son, would they have raised the dagger? And the answer that James is showing is no. Because you don't have real faith. You don't, your faith has not affected how you live. Your faith has not shown itself in actual obedience and fruit to God. 
That's not real faith. That's just accepting knowledge. You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Now do y'all see how James here is constantly showing that it's all about the faith. He said, and don't, don't, don't go back to him, but this is what he said as we worked through that passage we just went through. He said, can such faith save him? That's what James said. Can, you know, can such faith save him? He didn't say, can such work save him? He said, can such faith save him? He said, in the same way, faith is dead by itself. He said, I will show you faith by my works. He said, faith without works is useless. It's the faith that's useless is what he's saying. By works, faith was made complete. Faith without works is dead. So James, even though it sounds contradictory, he's still saying the saving part of all this is the faith. James is still saying it's by faith that you're still saved. But if that faith doesn't actually produce works, if that faith doesn't actually change how you live, then that's not real faith. That's just an acceptance of knowledge. Faith changes how you live. I'll give you a quick example. Um, if you're, about to, if you're in, in a jungle and there's a long rope bridge that goes from one side to the other, of this big cavern, okay? If you don't really have faith that that rope bridge is going to hold you up, are you going to walk across it? No. You have to have what in order to take that step and walk across it? You have to have faith. So you can stand on your side of the bridge and you can say all day long, I believe that rope bridge will hold me. I believe it. I've seen people go across it all day long. I believe it'll hold me. But if you're not willing to actually walk across it, then you don't really believe what you're saying, do you? And we do the same thing. We say, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he atoned for, my, for me so that I can be saved and go to heaven. I believe that I have the Holy Spirit in me. But if you don't actually step out and, and live it, then it's just words. You actually have to live out faith. Faith is acted upon. Doubt is not. If you have doubt, you don't act. If you have faith, you act. So, are you saved by works? No. But are, if you have faith that saves, living faith, will the living faith produce works? Yes. So they're talking to two different people on two different sides of the pendulum. 
One over here says, I believe that I can be saved by my works. And Paul says, no, your works have no part in your salvation. And it's true. It's true. Your works have no part in your salvation. You're saved by faith, not by works. But then when you swing all the way to the opposite side of the pendulum and they say, yep, I said I, I, said I have faith. I made a proclamation that I have faith, but I have no works to back it up. They say, no, 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 no. Real faith produces works. And so our goal is to have real faith. That's the goal of every person before they leave this earth. It's the goal of everyone in this room to make sure that you are, the scripture says, to examine yourselves and make sure you're what? In the faith. Are you in the faith? Because if you're in the faith, then it will evidence itself through works. But it's faith and faith alone by which you're saved, by God's grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. This is where we need to land. Next verse. Galatians 2, 21, Paul said this, I do not set aside the grace of God, because that's what saves us, God's grace. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And so Paul says very clearly, you cannot, it is impossible to be made righteous before God through obeying the law, because if it were possible, then Christ died for absolutely nothing. The only reason Christ had to come and die is because you could not be made righteous through following the law. Next verse. Mark 1.15, Jesus told us, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is salvation. That you are to turn from sin, and that's evidenced through your good works, through a saving faith, believing in Jesus Christ. So you believe in Jesus Christ, and it's real belief, real faith, not just head knowledge. Then it will result in you turning from sin and bearing good fruit in your life. In Acts 20, 21, I testified to both, this is Paul speaking, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 2, 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of of the Holy Spirit. And that is the promise for those that Peter had just preached to and they asked, brothers, what must we do to be saved? That's what everyone asks or should ask at some point in their life. What must I do to be saved? That's exactly what they asked Peter. What must we do to be saved? We want to be saved. And Peter replied, repent, turn from sin and be baptized each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you What's that word? Will. It's not may. It's not might. It's not one day. It's you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the new tabernacle, when the Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of you, the Holy Spirit will change you from the inside out and make you into a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 6, 2. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. 
Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are saved through faith in Christ and God has chosen to use us because he's been calling us to be reconciled to him. God has chosen to use us to preach that message of saving reconciliation to everyone else. We must understand clearly. Don't try to work. You can't work and earn your salvation. That's a problem a lot of people have. They think, I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I haven't done enough good, I haven't done enough good, I'm not good enough. And they just kill themselves under this idea that I'm only right in God's sight by doing enough good. Then you have the other side that's the same problem. They deceive themselves into say, thinking that they really do have faith in God, but they have made no commitment to follow God at all. God has changed their life, not at all. God has made no impact on their life. They haven't seen any reason to, to turn and repent of sin and to follow Christ. And so we must, we must be those who realize that we have been reconciled to God and that God desires for everyone we know to be reconciled to him. And therefore, we must carry that clear gospel message that you're saved through your faith alone and that you can be saved because it's through faith alone. You can be saved right now. Because it's through faith alone, you can be saved right now. It doesn't have to be after you spend so much time working through or doing more good than you've done bad. No, you can be saved right now. And so I ask you, I beg you and plead with you to be reconciled to God. Place your faith in Him for the forgiveness of your sins and follow Him for the rest of your life. Regardless of what your life looked like before today, regardless of the life that you've lived up to today, decide today, I will follow Christ for the rest of my life. And I believe that he will count me righteous through my faith in him to save me. I believe that he alone can save me, and I trust him to do so. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. And Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you wouldn't make us do more good than we've done bad in our lives, because we can't. Father, that you wouldn't make us earn this salvation as if it's some level that, that we never know if we've been able to achieve it or not. But Father, that you've loved us so much that no matter what kind of life we've lived, that we can literally come to you in our last moments on earth, convicted by you, knowing that we've sinned, knowing that we're guilty, and knowing that we cannot save ourselves, and beg you and plead you to, Father, please save me, because I cannot save myself. Father, I pray that if there's a single person in this room who has not made that decision, but wants to do that right now, that they would simply ask you from their heart and mean it, Father, I know I've sinned against you, but Father, I, I, don't, I want to be in right relationship with you. I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want there to be distance between us. I want you to come live inside of me to make me right with you. Father, I can't do it. And so, Father, I beg you to do it. Father, I know that I've sinned against you. and I know it's my sin that has caused you to have to come and die for me. And so because you paid such a great price for me, I'm going to commit to paying such a small price in return that I will turn from sin and I will follow you. And Father, I ask you to save me. I love you, Father. And I thank you for your love. In Jesus' holy 
and precious name I pray. Amen. Now, if you did decide to give your life over completely today, then I ask you, share that with me before you leave this place. If you have somebody on your heart and on your mind that you want to pray for, I would ask you that you take this time to pray for them. That God loves them even more than we do. And he has a plan for all of us. If we would just humble ourselves before him and thank him for being such a good, good God. Let's have our closing song. If y'all would stand. Well, I'm so glad to see all y'all here. I pray that y'all have an amazing week. And I pray that God gives us all opportunities to to talk about how good he is this week. Uh, Keith, would you close us in prayer?